The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, the title of this message is uh, Showing Gratitude for Gospel Fruit. This is something that we see throughout the New Testament, especially in the epistles of Paul, that he was filled with gratitude, and he tells us that we should become people that are filled with gratitude for all that God has done for us, including the people that he's put in our lives. As I was thinking about this, this whole thing, because this is his theme in the first four verses of this, this chapter, you heard in Acts 17 the account of the, the birth of this church, the church at Thessalonica, and there are two letters written to them. Paul was there for three Sabbaths. Now that may mean he was only there for three weeks because they met every Sabbath day in the synagogue and he was preaching in the synagogue where the Jews gathered to worship. And there were some God-fearers there. And God-fearers were people that were Gentiles, but they had come to believe that the God of Israel was the true and living God. And they heard the gospel as Paul preached it. And what Paul emphasizes in this book is how that the, the gospel should bring great gratitude to our hearts, that we are so grateful for what he has done in Christ Jesus. And uh, so if you will turn, if you're there in First Thessalonians, uh, just notice I'm only going to talk about the first three verses. Let me read the first chapter. It's very short. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now, you remember, Paul was driven out of Thessalonica. You heard that this morning in Acts 17. By persecution, they drove him out of the city of Thessalonica. He went down to Berea, and then he got driven out of Berea and ended up in Athens, where he preached the gospel in the most unlikely place, where men gathered to discuss philosophical things. And yet, the apostle Paul brought the gospel to those people. And so here in this introduction, as he writes to the Thessalonians, He says in verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you. That's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? We always give thanks for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind, which means those things that you intentionally remember. I know there's things that we we don't intentionally forget. (laughs) There's some things we intentionally remember things that come to our mind. And so Paul is saying, I I keep bringing to mind my memory of you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and so forth. So he says, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of your God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, which is a very strong statement, beloved by God means having been loved by God, and that's how you came to be his children. He initiated this. He calls people to himself, uh, and he draws them to himself, and they put their faith in him, and they become his children, and he begins treating them like his own children. And so he says, knowing, beloved brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, Here's that that doctrine of election that some people get upset about. Some people think it's heresy that God chose you before the foundation of the world, but that's what the Bible teaches. How else would you have ever come to Christ if if he hadn't chosen you and called you? You would have never come. I would have never come. 
But that's what he did. He set his love upon you before time. That's what election means. It means love before time, that God set his love upon you. And so he says, our gospel, I'm, I'm going to go and read the rest of the chapter. For our gospel did not come to you in word only. I didn't just get up and give you the facts of the gospel. We sang a song. The first song that we sang was written by an evangelist who wrote that song so that he would have something to sing when he preached the gospel. And, it, and that song is all about the gospel. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Rising, he justified freely forever. We were justified by faith in Christ because he was raised from the dead. The father's notice to the entire world that this was his son, and he raised his son from the dead, and therefore he is able to justify you, which means he declares you righteous, he receives you as being perfectly righteous in his sight. You become one of his, and that's how he treats you. He goes on, for our gospel didn't come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what sort of men we became when we were with you for your sake. Now, what he's going to do in this chat, what he's doing here in these verses is he's telling us what he is so grateful for. Why does he have great gratitude in his heart? It's because of what God has done in the lives of these people that he didn't even know before he came to Thessalonica and preached the gospel. But they became very dear to him because they put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord having received the word so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That was the outlying area. It'd be like him saying to you, you, you came to faith in Christ and now people throughout all of Contra Costa County know about it because of your testimony. And he said, we didn't have to say a word. They told us about the kind of entrance we had to you, how the gospel came and penetrated your hearts and changed your lives. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turn to God from idols. This is a wonderful way of describing what salvation is. You turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And I hope you see that he's comparing idols with a living and true God. We have a God who's alive. And he's a God who communes with us and who has written to us these words through the writers of the New Testament and he, and he says, and to, and to wait, not only are we, have we turned to serve God, but we wait. And the, and the word here is like what parents do when their kids stay out too late. You know what that's like? It's anamena, which means to wait up. You ever waited up for your kids? Yeah, I've, I've known a lot of times when my folks waited up for me. When I still remember a conversation I had when I came home. I was late. We had gone to San Francisco car broke down, had all kinds of trouble, came in really late. They were in bed, but they were awake. They had waited up. They were consciously wondering what had happened to me. So I went in and I talked to them and assured them everything was okay. I had to have the car towed, uh, and, but it's no big deal. It maybe cost my dad a couple hundred bucks, but no big deal, you know, <laughs> to me. <laughs> And to wait for his son from heaven, wait up for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, the one who is rescuing us from the wrath to come. What a, what a wonderful expression of Paul's gratitude towards God regarding the, the gospel fruit. What is the fruit of the gospel? What does the gospel actually produce in people's lives? That's what he's talking about. Now notice he addresses the, the letter to the church 
of the Thessalonians. Now that tells that it reminds us of something. Truth doesn't originate with us. We, uh, we don't get daily um, talks from God telling us what he wants us to do and say and so forth. We have the word of God. He has given us truth. And so we preach this truth that he has given us. And believe me, you can't exhaust it. You may think, well, don't we need some fresh truth? Haven't you heard from God yesterday that you can tell us some new truth that we've never heard about? No, because we have 66 books that are alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And we are laid bare before him to whom we must give an account. He knows the truth about you. And his word, he uses his word proclaimed to let you know that. He shines a light into your heart. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart. No, the church in the New Testament was a recipient, and we are to be students of the word of God. It was a gift given to us, and so we treasure it. This is why we talk about it all the time. It's why you, if you're a disciple maker, you're constantly telling people about what God has said. You're quoting him. I ought to get Silas to come here and quote to you all these verses he's memorized. Because that's what he does in our lives, isn't it? He gives us the word of God that is hidden in our hearts. And we can't help telling people. For example, uh, remember Peter saying to the people he's writing to, he says, even though you've never seen him, you love him. And though you're not seeing him now, but believing in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Why would he say that to them? Because he wants the word of God to penetrate their hearts. He wants to keep reminding them of the truth of the word of God, that this is your treasure. And so what we are supposed to do is to take in this truth that the Holy Spirit has used men to write. And we have this entire New Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. And it's truth about Jesus Christ. It's all about Christ. The whole Bible is about Christ. And we need to know him better. And so we come to the word in order to understand what God has said about his son. Also, you notice the, the, the heavenly and earthly address of the church. In 1 Corinthians, when he begins 1 Corinthians, he says the church at Corinth in Christ Jesus. You get that? You have dual citizenship. You have citizenship here. You're in Knightson. You may not be citizens of Knightson. You might live in Oakley or somewhere, but you're a citizen. But you're also a citizen of heaven because you're in Christ Jesus. And that can never be lost. We have become citizens in God's kingdom. And these people can never lose that citizenship in Corinth, in Christ Jesus. Now in Colossians, he says, the the believers at Colossae says, when you came to faith in Christ, you were transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. They, same city, different kingdom. They still lived in Colossae, but now they've been transferred into the kingdom of God out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of God's beloved son. So they're citizens, and they're expected to live in a certain way because they are citizens of the kingdom of God. Then immediately Paul begins to express his thanksgiving to God. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind. And what he means by that is I keep remembering, intentionally remembering things about you. I intentionally remember things about you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. 
And he says, That's, I intentionally remember that so that I can give God thanks for you. As you read through the, uh, the epistles of Paul, his letters, you can't help but take notice of the fact that he's constantly in the habit of giving thanks to God for the people who've turned to Christ and are a part of the body of Christ now. 37 times he uses this expression, I give thanks to God for you. Often he records his thanksgiving. Sometimes he tells us certain things about these believers that he's giving God thanks for. Thanksgiving is a mark of a mature, spirit-filled believer. If you want to know what a spirit-filled believer is, it's somebody who is marked by these characteristics. It's a person who's been impacted by the gospel and the the object, the, the person of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, he says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted, that is, you have a solid foundation, been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. Boy, it's it's easy to lose your gratitude, isn't it? It's easy to be a complainer, and you can find a thousand things to complain about, even among the body of Christ. And so sometimes we're not remembering the right things about each other. But Paul tells us, he shows us by example what the things we should remember about each other. Aren't you glad for the people that you know that were saved out of the kingdom of darkness and have been transferred into the kingdom of God's dear son? Isn't that a wonderful truth? So notice how this process of getting a believer firmly established has this psychological side effect. That is, you begin to be filled with gratitude. And this gratitude will be a response to discovering the love of Christ for his disciples. Every Christian you talk to is somebody that God has manifested great, great love for by calling them to himself. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? The Christian life should be characterized by grateful joy. That's what it should be characterized by. In Colossians alone, in relationship, Paul says, you're to have gratitude towards the Father because you have a new Father. As Steve was telling us, you have a new Father, a heavenly Father. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in in the inheritance of the saints in light. Whatever we say or do, Paul says in Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, giving thanks through him to God the Father. We're even to give God thanks for prayer. Isn't it amazing that you can address God at any time? I told you about the guy that came to me after I was preaching about our free access to God in the book of Hebrews. And he says to me, you know, I, don't, I can't make sense out of that. I, my dad is a great guy, but... He wants me to come in and tell him what I want and then get out of his way so he can get back to his work. And I said, well, God's not like your dad. He's he's different. He loves for you to come. He welcomes you into his presence. He wants you to speak to him. He wants you to bring your needs to him. He wants you to come before him and know that he he loves you and that he receives you and he wants to hear what you're asking for. We're told that we should devote ourselves to prayer and keeping alert in it with gratitude. We pray with gratitude. Thank you, Father, for giving me a listening ear that you actually care. That's why I wanted Carolyn to tell you about this prayer request, is that we should pray 
for this lady and pray for her healing and pray for her, her coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We need to pray for her and we can do it with gratitude. Isn't it amazing that God has brought you into, into a relationship with different people who are able to tell you the gospel? And um, I, I just, I love to think about all those times I've seen people who've come to faith in Christ and God just begins to change their lives and transform them into the image of Christ. They become like Christ in so many ways. Now, none of you are perfectly like Christ, are you? <laughs> right? You're not quite there. You're not all there. But there have been marks. There, have been, there are telltale marks in your life because you have come to faith in Christ. And we can give God thanks for that. We can give God thanks for the people he's brought into our lives. I used to get a kick out of my wife's dad. He uh, liked to teach, he taught children in church for years and years. And, and he had a way of describing a child who was very lively. He, instead of saying what I would say, boy, what a brat. He said, that, that boy is full of life. He's really full of life. And I thought, well, I guess you could say it that way. And that's how we think about, we realize about ourselves. And to think that God loves us, that he has set his love upon us, he actually cares for us, is an amazing thing. And that's why Paul says, he gives thanks by praying. You see that in verse 2? He gives thanks by praying. He, he goes before the Father and he offers up thanksgiving. You all remember that acrostic that we have, ACTS, A-C-T-S, for prayer. That is adoration. Confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Supplication just means when you bear your heart to God and say, this is what I desire and long for so much, Father. Would you do this? Would you save this person? Would you work in their life in this way? And so we, we can give thanks to God through prayer. As we address him, as we come to him, we can offer up thanksgiving to him. I can't get over all the things he's done for us. That he's given us eternal life, which means we have the capacity to know God now. That he's given us the spirit of God who opens our eyes to the reality of the truth that we find in the word of God that seems just way above our heads. He actually opens our eyes so that we can see and understand. He's given us the Lord Jesus Christ who's taken up residence in our lives. He lives in me. He's given us eternal life. He's given us forgiveness of sins. He's given us a citizenship in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. What an amazing God this is. Not only that, look at all the people he's given you. He's given you people that sometimes you complain about. And he wants you to start giving thanks for them instead. Because you see what happens to us is we forget and we need to remind ourselves of what God has done in one another's lives. He's worked in a deep and profound way. And he continues to do this in our lives. So he says, I continue to give thanks to God when I remember. And remember isn't a passive thing. Uh, I know myself, sometimes it's hard for me to remember certain things. <laughs> I'll never forget my dad called me. And when he started to hang up, he said, uh, oh, by the way, Tell, uh, and he couldn't think of my wife's name. And he finally says, oh, you know, tell your wife that I love her. 
And I said, well, I'll tell her that you're working on remembering her name. <laughs> and, uh, but I know he did love her. And I was so grateful for him that God had given, to me, given me a father, a human father who, loved Christ, who came to love Christ. I saw when he came to faith in Christ, and I saw him grow. And I thought, what a wonderful gift to have a father who follows, who believes in the living God. What a privilege that was to grow up in a home with Christian parents and to hear the gospel and to see the gospel in action in their lives. Those are, those are things we need, to, we need to tell God thanks for. We need to express our thanksgiving towards him, how they ministered to us. Sometimes what we remember about fellow believers is how they misused us, how they have let us down so many times, their faults, their personal quirks. That's what we think about. But let me tell you, you need to, what you need to do is remember the things about them that you can only give credit to God for. That God has done a work in their lives. And he continues to do this work. Maybe the reason I, I fail to give thanks for some is because I remember the wrong things. And I need to start remembering the right things. And that's what he means here by remembering. He means that we should intentionally remember exactly what God is doing in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to give thanks for one another, and if we don't, it's because we either forget what God has done or remember the wrong things. Because nobody yet has been fully sanctified in this group. This is the third church I've pastored in, and this is not the first church that wasn't perfect. Every church I've ever been in, we, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We know we have shortcomings and faults, but we have, there is so much that God has done in our lives. So many things that he's done in our lives that we should give God thanks for. You know, feeling is a result of thinking. And sometimes what we need to do is think clearly about what God is up to in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. What does Paul give thanks for? Well, I'd like to show you this. I think it's here. The fruit of the gospel. What he's going to talk about, we'll look at this next week. The first fruit of the gospel he experienced was what the gospel did to his own heart and life as he preached the gospel. It transformed him. Sometimes when you share the gospel, you're going to experience this. It's like you can't believe what God is doing in your heart at that moment. That you're actually loving this person so much you want them to know the gospel. And you're not worried about whether or not you have all the facts down and you can use every Greek word to describe the gospel. You are thinking about their need and how wonderful it would be if they would come to rest their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the thoughts that God gives you. But notice this. He says, I'm going I'm to give thanks. I'm, I want to express my gratitude for what God has done in your lives. And three things. Uh, faith, love, and hope. But you can't see faith, love, and hope. Have you noticed that? You can't see faith, you can't see love, and you can't see hope. What you can see are evidences of them. So you see faith seen in works. Actually, the word works. Remember uh, that James says, uh, faith without works is dead. Can that faith save you? No, but what the word works there means is effects. That's what this word works means. It means work as an effect of someone's energy being expended. 
Something is accomplished. Faith without works, faith without effects cannot save you. Because real faith, real faith in Jesus Christ, it will begin to be, show up in changes that God's making inside of you. So he says, first of all, faith seen in works and the, the local church, great church's great dilemma, this is what a lot of guys complain about, is how do you get people to work? The issue is, do they have faith? There are some, there are some people in this church that, that work so hard. I used to get a kick out of it at the end of our service, and I would watch uh, Rich Lyman uh, mopping this floor, or whatever he does to it, I don't know what you call it. But he was sweating. Like I thought, man, this guy is really laboring. And he was sweating. What is it? Why, what would cause a person to do that? Well, first of all, faith. And then secondly, love seen in labor. The word labor is a stronger word. It means to, to, to work to the point of exhaustion. Any of you ever done that? <laughs> work to the point of exhaustion? I've had a few times out at my place. We have seven acres and sometimes going on that field doing something. I would get so tired, I didn't think I was going to make it back to the house. And I would finally, I'd make it to the, under the little cover or patio cover, and I would slump down on a chair and think, man, I am so tired. I don't think I can even get up and go get a glass of water. You know how that is, working to the point of exhaustion? And he says, that's how we see your love, is there you're willing to labor for one another. You care about people. You're, you put yourself out. And then finally, hope seen in endurance. Endurance or steadfastness is produced by hope. What is hope? Well, Paul defines hope for us in Philippians chapter 1. He says, hope is an earnest expectation of a promise of God. Do you know what God's promises are about the future? Do you know about his promise that he's sending his son back into the world? There's the second coming of Christ. And then the, th- the events that follow it, that entire, that entire uh, scenario is called the day of the Lord. He's coming back, and he's going to get his people. In fact, there's a, in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, we're going to see there's a meeting in the air, that's, it's called, that we're going to meet Christ in the air. He's going to bring us into the presence of God, escort us into the very presence of God. And so we have promises. Well, hope is a result of believing those promises. If you're hopeless, you either don't know the promises or you're not believing them. Because the thing that produces hope is when you hear the promises and you believe that they're true. And this is what produces, this hope can be seen in steadfastness, which means endurance. You stay at the the task. It it has the idea of staying under the the weight of the labor and you keep going. You keep keep serving. You keep uh, caring enough to do that, trusting God for the energy you need to accomplish the task. So we have an earnest expectation of God's promises being fulfilled. Uh, He's coming back. He's coming back. You should say hallelujah. He is coming back for you. And he's going to bring you into the presence of his Father. So this hope which produces steadfastness is concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. He has done something wonderful for you, and he's going to save you to the uttermost. The Bible says there's two, two uh, different tenses of adoption. First tense is when he saved you, and you were adopted into the family of God, and he became a son of God. Even if you're a lady, you became a son of God, because that speaks about the fact that you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. 
You're, you're an heir of God. You know what you're going to inherit? Maybe you're wondering what you're going to inherit. You're going to inherit everything. Literally, that's what it says. You're going to inherit everything. He's going to, he is going to cause you to be uh, uh, an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And you're going to inherit everything that exists. So you don't need to be accumulating a lot of stuff right now. I mean, it's okay, but it's, it just gets in the way, doesn't it? It really gets in the way. It's hard to get rid of stuff. That's, that's the one, number one thing you need to learn about country living. When you've got more than an acre of space to store stuff, you're in big trouble. <laughs> you're going to have piles and piles and piles of stuff. And then you get to the place where you don't even think about it anymore, and, and somebody else comes along and says, man, what are you going to do with all this stuff? We don't need it because we're going to inherit everything. And the wonderful thing about the kingdom of God is it's not cluttered. One of the reasons I'm so glad I married the woman I did is she doesn't tolerate clutter. <laughs> she, in fact, I, it's, I'm lucky if I get to put my feet on the ground. You know, because she doesn't like clutter. She doesn't like anything that's in the way and has no purpose. Well, the kingdom of God... We're going to inherit everything, so you, you can really stop accumulating stuff. Now, I should be saying that to myself, <laughs> because I got piles of stuff, too. Now, listen to this. In, he tells us why he gives thanks. I don't know if I have this. No, I'm sorry. He, the reason he gives thanks for them, he says down in, verse, in verses uh, 4 through 10, is because of their election. If you look at verse 4, he says... Uh, knowing brethren beloved by God, what does he know about them that caused them to give thanks? You see what he says there? His choice of you. His choice of you, that's the word election. He chose you to be one of his own. And he says, because I, I know that, and he goes on to tell him why he knows it, which we'll look at next week, is because he knows they're elect, he gives thanks for them. He gives God thanks for them. And he calls them brethren. He constantly uses this term throughout the book. There is brethren, which means we came from the same womb. We have, we have the same father. We have the same life. And so we are, going to, we are going to be together for all eternity. That's kind of scary, isn't it? We're going to be together for all eternity. But here's the good news. We're going to be changed. We're going, to be, we're going to be in the image of Christ. Not look like him, but have character like him. And so we're not going to have all of our quirks and our shortcomings and our weaknesses. And so Paul says, I give thanks for you, brethren, because of, your, because of God's choice of you. Now look at this. This is just a real quick thing. I got, the, by the way, in your bulletin, that little handout has on the back of it, some investigation to do to prepare for next week. And here's why. Because next week we're going to see this. God's election of you. Notice these, what the Bible says about election. It says, now a lot of people think election is a horrible doctrine. And it just does all kinds of damage. The only problem is it's taught in the Bible. And Paul says, it's wonderful. I give God thanks that you're elect. You're, cho- you're God's choice. You belong to God. And so he says its source is, according to Romans 9-11, God. 
God chose you. Isn't that something? You ever been picked before? You ever been chosen before? Some of you, when you were in school and they were dividing up, you know, basketball team or something, you'd never get chosen. But God chose you. He chose you for something so much better, the kingdom of God. And it says the time of it was before the foundation of the world in Ephesians 1. Before the foundation of the world, before God created the earth, he decided he was going to save you. Its purpose, to make you holy and blameless before him. He's, gonna ma- he's, made you ho- uh, he's made you holy and blameless before him, and he's going he's to complete that work when we go into his presence. And then we're told its course, its cause is Ephesians 1, 5, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. It gave God pleasure to choose you. That's crazy, isn't it? Where did you get that doctrine? The Bible? The Bible's filled with it. Once you see it, you can't. It's amazing. If you start blacking it out, get you a black pen and try to cover all those verses that talk about the fact that God set his love on you before the foundational world and chose you, you'll mark up your whole Bible. It's everywhere. It's amazing. And Paul rejoices in it. I rejoice in the fact that you're elect, even though if you don't believe it. I know some of you don't believe it. I'm thinking, I don't care. I still praise God that he chose you. Even though you don't even, you just can't take it in. It's too good. It's too glorious. And so, and then God's motive, we're told, is his love for us. His love for us. Don't you love the fact that God loves people like us? Because you can't, it's really hard to find anybody in this world that would love people like us. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing. The more amazing thing is seeing how believers get, get, get more and more like God and they start loving people like us. And they're willing to sacrifice for them, lay down their lives for them. It's amazing. Um, and so here we are. So this is what he knows. He knows that, that they are God's choice. Now that makes me think, that makes me think a little more, but sometimes, you know how that is, you just get sick and tired of somebody's weaknesses. Or maybe you don't, <laughs> but some of us do. We fall into that trap, but then we realize, wait a minute, God chose them to be recipients of his grace. Isn't that wonderful? God chose you to be a recipient of his grace. It, it, it changes everything, doesn't it? It makes us see one another in a completely different light. It's like they're like lenses of glasses that we put on, and all of a sudden we see the glory of God's people because of the glory of God. And he's chosen a people. I've been reading this book on aging. <laughs> Why would I read that? And uh, I found out that the, the fastest-growing segment of America's uh, uh, population is people my age and older. In other words, there's, we're, we're, we're outgrowing every other segment of uh, the, the, the world's population. You know what's good about that? Is we need older people who have wisdom and have had experience. I love talking to people who, uh, a friend of mine, Phil Howard, who pastors at uh, Valley Bible, his dad, L.J. Howard, he was an iron worker. He used to crawl up, he'll build the Benicia Bridge. No, not 
Yes, the Benicia Bridge. And he, uh, he was so much fun to talk to because he probably went to the sixth or seventh grade and yet he was so full of wisdom because he knew God. And I learned so many things from him just in conversations because he knew God. He couldn't say some words, ontological trinity, for example. He would never say those words. In fact, he used, to, he used to get a kick out of us trying to be theological. He told me one day, he says, I just love hearing you guys in your exact nasty. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's what it is, isn't it? Our exact nasty. But he loved Christ. It was, and he used to shake his hand like this when he started talking about Jesus. Big tears come to his eyes, and he'd shake his hand, and, and he would tell you wonderful things about Christ that he learned in his word. I just love hearing people talk about what they've learned in the word of God and how it's had an impact on their life. Uh, it's wonderful. I love that passage I mentioned in 1 Peter 1 where he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you're not seeing him now, but believing in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Do any of you know that song? Is joy unspeakable and full of glory? There's a chorus that goes like that. It's just all it is, the biblical words. And that's what it is. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory to love and believe Jesus. That's what he says there. He says, you haven't seen him. This is Peter the apostle who was with Jesus three and a half years. But he's talking to people who've never seen him. But he says, you love him and you believe him. And because of that, you have joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. The next time you try to get somebody out of the pit, you know what I mean? When they're really down in the mully grubs. You know what mully grubs are? You know, when they're really down, really depressed. Let me, let me tell you what to do. Talk to them about Jesus. Tell him what joy he, he, he brings to your life. Tell him what a wonderful, joyful thing it is to love him and to believe him. That's so much better than a prescription. Because it, it will penetrate the heart. It will penetrate the heart. The Holy Spirit can take those words from 1 Peter and fill the heart of a person with this realization that they have received the most important thing in all of life. They may be poor. They may not have a great job. They may have all kinds of trouble in their life. But what they have is the most important thing in all of life. They have the Lord Jesus Christ living in them, if they're believers. They have Christ in them. And he's the hope of glory. He's the one who's going to change them because he lives within them. And uh, that's what's really important about you, is you have Christ. That's what's important about all of us. We have Christ. So let me have you stand together with me, and I'm going to close in prayer. Wait a minute, we have another song, but let's, let's stand, and uh, let me pray, and then the guys will come up, and we'll... Have we lost the guys? Oh, there they are. And we'll sing one more song in, in response to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. We have so much to be thankful for. It's amazing the gratitude that you have placed in our hearts because you've opened our eyes to the expansiveness of your gifts, the glorious gifts that you've given us, Father. Thank you so much. We praise your name. We praise you that we know the king 
of the kingdom of God. We know the one who's going to reign and rule over your kingdom and who does even today. We thank you that we love him. and We thank you that we know him and believe in him and trust him. And we pray, Father, you would fill our hearts with the joy that you promised us when we love him and believe him. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in us. Please expand our ability to love you and to believe you, we pray. Make us a lampstand in this community that would shine brightly the glory of God in Christ Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.